Before I read this morning's scripture from John's Gospel, I want to invite us to bow for prayer. Just to be silent in God's presence is always good medicine for the soul. Silent meditation is uh, not is something we don't do often enough. So I invite you to just soak up the silence, soak up some of the blessings we've already experienced in worship thus far. Be still and listen to God. Maybe in your own heart, form a prayer of confession or uh, repentance or a prayer of need. And then I'll lead us. Eternal God and loving Heavenly Father, how we bless you for this rich privilege of worship. And on this Reformation Sunday, when we think about what Martin Luther posted on that uh, Wittenberg church door, uh, we are thankful for the power of Holy Scripture, for the way that your Word of God uh, comes alive into hearts and lives and nations. We thank you for the vitality of faith, for that reality that we are not saved by our works but by what you through Christ have done for us, helpless sinners. We're thankful also for the privilege of being priests and practicing our priesthood uh, toward one another and in relationship to you. And what a privilege that we're invited into a direct relationship with the God of this cosmos through his son, Jesus Christ. And to that end, we pray for our world. We pray for our nation today. We pray for those in service uh, in our armed forces. We pray for all of our mission partners in Ukraine and South Dakota, in Kenya, South Elementary School, and all of our many connections. Uh, We pray for those who have been devastated again these past 24 hours with another earthquake in Italy. We pray for those doing rescue. We pray for those who have experienced loss. We pray that you might touch the lives within our own congregation who are experiencing grief, who are experiencing traumatic change. We pray for those who are dealing with illness, physical illness, mental illness, job loss, and so many other things. Our loving God, we long to be known by you and by others. We long to be loved. Make us different than we came in this place being. Help us to be more trusting and less afraid. As you move in our minds and hearts, also move our feet to live the gospel this week. Change us and remake us that we might live in faithful, authentic relationships. For this is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Now before I... uh, read this morning's scripture, I wanted us to remember the theme of this particular set of sermons, uh, that is the theme of embracing the mess and living in the mess, and I want to show you uh, a reminder on the screen of what that theme sentence is. Uh, This is our preferred future as we focus on that setting sail experience, moving toward God's future, uh, as we think about authentic relationships, embracing the mess. First Baptist Church is an imperfect family bound together by love and grace. We practice radical hospitality, affirm everyone's journey, and celebrate the living Christ working among us. In short, we love each other. And that's our, that's our guide sentence for this sermon series, Embracing the Mess. And now I want to read from John's Gospel, the 15th chapter, beginning in verse 12, 
and uh, the bulletin says ending in verse 15, but I've decided to add the reading through verse 17, and so I want you to uh, listen prayerfully as I read this aloud, and if you're able, would you stand in honor of God's word as, uh, as I read from John's gospel, chapter 15, verses 12 through 17. This is my commandment, Jesus said, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last so that the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I want to begin by asking you a question uh, Is anybody here afraid of heights, afraid of high places? I am. Uh, When I'm watching a movie and the star of the movie is out on a window ledge 20 stories high, I just have to close my eyes. I I can't handle it. But even at a more personal level, uh, over the years as we have decorated uh, the exterior of our house for Christmas, I have always volunteered for the job of holding the ladder while Janet, my wife, climbs up to those really high peaks. And that was my practice until I was so embarrassed, uh, some of my neighbors drove by and judged me. You know who you are, Rod Maples and other people. I felt that sense of judgment, and finally I just started paying somebody to uh, climb up into those high places, because after all, Janet is important to me, and I don't want to lose her. I don't want her injured. Uh... There are, I saw several hands shoot up, afraid of heights, but I have, a, I have news for us. There are many more of us afraid of depths. Afraid of heights, maybe, but afraid of depths. Many of us are afraid of going deeper into authentic relationships with one another. We're afraid of being known. We're afraid people won't like us if they see us. We're afraid that we'll be embarrassed by the mess. We think we're the only ones... Uh, who have failure and and mess-ups in our lives, and and it's just easier to keep people at a distance. We're afraid of authentic relationships. We're afraid of depths. Uh, I read recently of a seminary professor who was trying to sensitize his pastoral care class on the need to be authentic and transparent. The first assignment was that each student was to diagram a family tree as far back as they could reasonably remember. And with that diagram, provide narrative paragraphs describing the high points and beautiful things about biological family and also paragraphs describing the failures, the embarrassments, the scandals uh, of the biological family tree. And uh, this professor said the students turned in their work and one student turned in this perfectly diagrammed family tree, just meticulous detail and wonderful paragraphs like something from a 1950s sitcom. Perfect family, everybody always smiled, everything was always okay, and they just were all just wonderful people. And the the professor called the student in and said, I want you to redo the assignment, and I want you to get real, 
and I want you to get honest. And the seminary student said, Sir, I would rather take a zero on this assignment and risk an F in the course than be that honest and transparent with you and with my seminary class. Fear of depths. Think about this parable. A woman is excited. She just traded vehicles and bought a new sport utility vehicle. And she was so proud of it, and she timed her her drive slowly down Main Street when she knew some of her girlfriends would be out on the sidewalk shopping so she could show off her vehicle. And she even knew some of the merchants who would be out sort of sweeping the the sidewalk off. And she drove slowly down Main Street and she saw her friends and she waved and they didn't wave back. She saw merchants and she waved and smiled and they didn't, didn't even acknowledge her. And she thought, snobs, they're just jealous. She got home and her husband reminded her that she had ordered a sport utility vehicle with the strongest tinted glass possible. She could see out, but no one could see in. And how many of our lives are designed to hide and mask the pain? And the glass is strongly tinted. We can see out. And we long and hunger and ache for relationships with one another. And we wonder why no one waves. We wonder why no one sees us, why no one will be our friend, and we forget about the tinted glass that keeps people from knowing us as the tinted glass that keeps us from authentic relationships. Jesus had a lot to say about authentic relationships, and this scripture is just rich with that truth. He says, first of all, authentic relationships are about giving. Verses 13, 12 and 13. Jesus said, a new commandment I've given you, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, that you would lay down your life for friends. See, this is a command, Jesus said. And he even repeats it in verse 17. One of the reasons I wanted to go ahead and read two verses further. This is a command, and a command means that this is not optional. This is not a suggestion. This is not about feelings. This is not about emotions. This is a command to love. And have you noticed in Scripture that whatever Jesus commands, he always makes possible, if we're willing? So that the cross of Jesus provides the example of giving love. Jesus went to the cross for us, his friends, to die our death, to die in our place. But the cross not only provides the example, the cross also provides the energy. That is that when you enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ and invite him into your life, something supernatural happens, something mystical happens. There are forces let loose in your life that are not your own, and you then possess the capacity to love beyond your own will and desire to love. The capacity to give in an authentic relationship. Well, here's the second thing Jesus says, that authentic relationships are about mutuality and respect, verses 14 and 15. He says, you're my friends. 
I no longer call you slave. I call you friends. Now, think about the difference between a slave and a friend. A slave is a means to an end. The only reason a person would keep a slave around is to accomplish something for him or her. A slave is a means to an end. And some of us wonder why we don't have authentic relationships because the only way we see friendship is to use other people for our selfish purposes. Or we are afraid of friendship because we have been used by someone for selfish purposes. But whereas a slave exists as a means to an end, a friend is cherished and valued simply for being who she is or who he is. There's no no means to an end. That friendship, that, that relationship is celebrated and enjoyed simply as an end in itself. Jesus said, I don't don't call you slaves anymore. There's there's mutuality and there's respect in that kind of friendship that allows authentic relationships to go deep. Well, here's a third thing. Authentic relationships, verse 15 says, is about being vulnerable. Jesus said, I no longer call you slaves, I call you friends, because I've told you everything. I've given you everything the Father gave me to tell you. See, this is just before Jesus died on the cross. This is just before his betrayal and his cruel crucifixion. And he's saying to the disciples, I've become completely vulnerable. I haven't hid anything from you. I'm totally transparent. I've told you so much about what's in my heart and what the kingdom is about that I have risked that if you take what I've told you and use it against me, I will be killed. And of course, that's exactly what Judas did. That's exactly what the Pharisees And the Sadducees did. They took what Jesus had risked. They took his vulnerability and they used it against him. But he did it anyway. And authentic relationships are about me saying, you might use this against me someday. You might use this to hurt me back. But I'm going to be completely honest with you about my own life. Authentic relationships are about vulnerability. And then here's a fourth thing that dawned on me. Authentic relationships are about bearing fruit that lasts. Verse 16, Jesus said, uh, I've chosen you and I've appointed you to bear fruit that remains or endures or fruit that lasts. Now, it's interesting to me that in talking about friendship and authentic relationships, Jesus would use agricultural metaphors uh, because just as a plant requires nutrition and cultivation, so authentic relationships require nutrition and cultivation. We must invest time. We must be intentional about caring for authentic relationships. And Jesus said, it's fruit that lasts. Have you noticed that relationships, whether it's between spouses, between siblings between church friends, between work friends. Have you noticed that relationships sour when we go selfish, when we become consumed with self? I want to show you this Richard Rohr quote, and we've been quoting him a lot because he is so great on authentic relationships. He said, when you're in that open-hearted space, when you're living in the flow of authentic relationships, your energy flows out. That's that, again, an organic image. 
When you're not in that space, your energy sucks inward. It's all about who did me wrong and why I don't like those people. You know, we we go around keeping track of grudges, keeping score, and why I don't like those people. And then he says, anytime you feel like you deserve something and you've been shortchanged, anytime you start focusing on I deserve something, it's an indication you may be hoarding love rather than letting it come and go freely. When we hoard that love, the, the plant starts wilting. But when it can come and go freely without us keeping score, it's freer and richer. Jesus said authentic relationships bear fruit that lasts. And he said that's what my friendship with you as disciples is about. Fruit that lasts. Here's a newsflash. Here's a newsflash. We're all going to die someday. We're going to leave this earth. There's only one thing that's eternal. There's only one thing that lasts, and that's relationships. You ever think about that? The only earthly possession we can take with us to heaven is relationships. Our relationship with God, our relationship with one another. And if that's true, why not invest more energy in authentic relationships since they are the fruit that lasts in a powerful and important way. Well, I think you can see that fear is the main obstacle to authentic relationships in a church, in a family, uh, in any kind of uh, relationship, marriage, whatever. Fear. Fear of being known. Fear people seeing the mess. Uh, you know, in the last chapter of my parents' lives, uh, they were active members here. And uh, when they were alive and able, they, they came to church all the time. And uh, when, when they would go out that door at the conclusion of 1045 service, I would always lean down and give mom a, a kiss on the cheek. Well, one particular Sunday, uh, the man coming out right behind her was extremely shy. And uh, just, uh, he, and he didn't know that was my mother. And so he saw me lean down and kiss, kiss her, and I looked up at him, and this look of terror came on his face. And I, I couldn't help it. I, I said, pucker up, Bill. You know, there is a scripture that says, greet one another with a holy kiss. But I said, I'm just teasing, that's my mom. And he goes, oh, God. <laughs> But you know, that look of terror on his face is sort of a reminder of the, of the dread that we have of being known. That, that people might get to know the mess that's in my life. Will they, will they judge me? Will they not like me if they really know me, warts and all? Our church has a vibrant Stephen ministry where trained lay people are connected for short-term journey with someone going through a crisis, not for psychotherapy, but for friendship, for listening, for walking along in a non-judgmental, caring way. And you know, over the, let's see, I guess it would be nine years we've had Stephen ministry, the biggest challenge we've had, of course, we always need more Stephen ministers, but the biggest challenge we've had is getting people in our church to receive a Stephen minister. Because most people say, I don't want to be known that well. I don't want to be that vulnerable. 
I don't want people to see my mess. And it's just hard for people to open up. But listen to the scripture this morning. This is my commandment I give you, that you'll love one another as Christ has loved us. And the only way we are going to move into authentic, deep relationships with one another is when it finally dawns on us that God knows all about us and he loves us anyway and that nothing you do can keep God from loving you. Nothing you do can make God not love you. That you are beloved by God, you are special to God, you are, you are cherished by God, and that unconditional love then sets us free to love others and to receive that unconditional love refracted through others' lives into our own hearts. That's what God is calling us to, something deeper, something richer, something more authentic relationships.